Welcome to the DFL Before DNF podcast. My name is Josh Rosenthal, and this is brought to you by Sun God Performance Eyewear. Today we have Candace Burt on the podcast. She's the one who brought us all these great 200-mile races, from the Tahoe 200 to the Bigfoot 200 to Moab 240. And she's got the Arizona Monster, a 309-mile point-to-point race coming in Arizona. 200 days in a row, Candace Burt ran a 50K or longer. So she's going to tell us about late race survival. But for her, it wasn't late race. It was late days. How did she survive day 125 or day 130? Let's check it out. All right, well, welcome to the DFL Before DNF podcast. My name is Josh Rosenthal from Borderlands Trail Running. Um, for those who've been following along with season one of our podcast, I've been, um, I am the worst 100 mile runner in the country and I'm, I'm desperate to unlock some things. And so I finished one out of 800 mile attempts and I'm going for it again uh, at Zion in April, April 13th, I think. April 11th, somewhere around there. And I, I'm just on the hunt for insight. Uh, and I've just reached out to some some of the runners that I respect immensely in the community of ultra running. And uh, Candace Burt responded that she's willing to to join us today. So today, we're here to learn more about her and then uh, on the flip side to, to see how she's accomplished the, the great things that she's accomplished, uh, but really both from business and as a runner. Uh, by way of introduction, you know Candace's races if you're in the ultra community. Uh, the first uh, non-repetitive 200 miler uh, she started with, and what became the Triple Crown, and, and seeing such incredible runners, and really introducing runners like Courtney Dell Walter onto the to the national scene with her crushing victory at Moab 240. Um, she, <laughs> I don't even know how to begin to wrap my mind around the Arizona Monster, uh, but it's an unbelievable race that she has uh, that she has coming up. Uh, she saved someone from a burning car. Uh, she's really kind of just willing to go in and and take care of business. And today, that's why I'm super excited to have you. So, Candace, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. So, um, before we get into some of the stuff as as a runner and, and talking about like uh, how to how to you know the late race survival tips, I just want to get to know you a little bit as a as a person. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up on Whidbey Island. Um, that's in Washington State. So yeah, nice. yeah, a little north of Seattle. Um, we would take a ferry ride to go pretty much anywhere off the island. Um, so yeah, kind of grew up on a small 10-acre farm, bunch oh, nice. of animals. So what, yeah, what, what all were you farming there? What, what did your parents do? Well, um, it was more just a dream that they had to... Um, to kind of have a small farm, but they would commute into Seattle and work. Um, my parents actually met as Seattle police officers. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, way back in the day. So my mom was uh, in the first group of female police officers to ever be allowed to to be officers wow. in Seattle. Yeah. yeah that's so cool. there's actually a book out there with her her name in it where it talks about kind of that first group of women who joined the that's amazing. Tell, tell me more about that. What was that like to grow up with a mom like that? 
Um, I, I guess I, I probably got a lot of my um, adventurousness from her. Um, mm-hmm. I know that she wanted to um, be involved kind of in something exciting. She parachuted a lot um, when she was younger. <laughs> I, awesome. I'm trying to remember what year she joined the Seattle Police Department. It would have been um, probably around in the seventies, I think it was. Cause I'm trying okay. to think what, or, um, yeah, like the early seventies. Okay. And, um, I think there weren't a lot of choices for women to have kind of an adventurous career, but yeah. the fact that that had opened up, um, just drew her in and, um, That's cool. yeah. And so they wanted to have a farm. They didn't want to live in the city. They wanted to yeah. raise us kind of on a farm. So we had horses and dogs and cats and chickens wow. and, yeah. So were they still all... commuting into work? What's that? Did they commute into work still? Like as uh, so they were living in Woodby Island and working for Seattle Police Department same time? Well, um, my dad did. Um, when when my mom and dad got together, they um, my mom took time off and um, she raised us kids. So they oh, cool. yeah. So she at that time was a stay at home mom for for several years. Okay. Nice. So yeah. on Whidbey, did you, was there like Whidbey High School? Where'd you go to high school? Yeah, there's, um, there's actually, I, well, I don't know if at that time, it was so long ago, but there's three different main cities. So there's mm-hmm. Langley, Coopville, and Oak Harbor, and we were okay. in Langley on the south end. So we um, just went to the school system. I went to the same school system my whole childhood. <laughs> really? Nice. Yeah. And was, did you run track? Did you do sports? What, what'd you do? Yeah, so I joined track um, my freshman year of high school. I'd actually been showing horses um, throughout oh, middle nice. school, kind of like my mom. Um, so we grew up with this amazing jump system in our um, 10 acres where my dad built jumps over water. We had a horseshoe pond, an arena. Um, so I'd gotten really into horseback riding and 4 H. Uh, in middle school, but then as high school came around, I kind of wanted to have a more social um, sport. So yeah. my sister had joined track, and I thought, well, that looks interesting. So <laughs> I joined track, um, but really found more of my passion when I joined the cross country team the next year, my sophomore okay. year, and just okay. loved the group of women and, or well, I guess teenagers, you know, men, men and women who we, we had an amazing community. Um, and that kind of followed through once I graduated high school, I wanted to find that again, which I found in the trail running scene. Hmm. Amazing. So did you run in college? Did you go to college? What, what, what happened after high school? Um, after high school, yeah, I went to college and I almost had a full ride, um, to, cause I just applied for all these scholarships and I wanted to go to a private school, but my parents okay. couldn't afford it. So yeah. I just applied for everything possible and nice. then got, um, yeah, uh, almost full ride to Willamette university, just a tiny oh, yeah. university, but I wanted to go somewhere small because I was from a small town. Yeah. Um, and so I went for a few years, but it just, it didn't feel right. Like I was trying to do all these science classes and become a doctor, but I was more interested in philosophy and English, mm-hmm. creative writing. So I actually dropped out, went to massage school and did that through my twenties, um, as okay. well as had two kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. How old are your kids now? Um, 16 and 18. Oh, cool. Wow. Is yeah. the 18 year old in college or senior year? 
senior year. Yeah. She's going to go to Japan or Korea next year, uh, go to a language school and then university. There's the plan. Whoa. That's crazy. So she's got her grandmother's sense of adventure that came through you to her. Yes, definitely. (laughs) That's awesome. All right. So you're massage therapist, two kids, I mean, when do you start to conceive of this like uh, ultra running world or the 200 miler? Like walk me through massage therapy to the first 200 miler that you started. Um, You know, I think the whole time in my 20s, I used running kind of to stay in shape. Um, and at some point I realized, I think when I had kids that I was really fortunate to get any time to run. Um, and it was kind of, it became a little bit of my meditation to rebalance and kind and, and be a good parent. Um, Mm -hmm. so getting a little bit of time, um, I think away from kids is important to rebalance and come back in and, and be that, balanced parent that we want to be. So running became more of a spiritual kind of experience. And I think (laughs) at that time, um, I heard about born to run. Um, and the, that book had come out. I had, um, a friend I met who was in the same, like kid, we all had kids. Um, Mm -hmm. and she had run a hundred miler and I was just blown away. Like no way. I thought, okay, I read born to run. I'm like, if somebody can do a hundred miles, I should be able to train for a marathon. <laughs> so <laughs> like it shouldn't, a marathon, I always thought would be something I would do eventually that would take, you know, maybe 10 years to work up to. Yeah. But then all of a sudden I thought, well, why not just do it? And I signed up for the Seattle marathon. Okay. I think it was like springtime and I ran it that next November. Um, and from there it kind of snowballed because that same group of friends were going out to Orcas Island. Um, and there was, this is 2010 and there's a 50 K 25 K on Orcas. Um, and so I thought, well, I've done a marathon. I should be able to do a 50 K on trail. Mm -hmm. Um, but boy, was I blown away at how much harder it was (laughs) (laughs) like in a different way. Um, and, and I remember like being so sore, but having had so much fun at that race and waking up the next morning, I had to roll out of bed and like crawl to the bathroom, uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> but I was hooked. I was like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So you did, you did Orcus, yeah. uh, 50 K and then, and then what was next? I mean, that, that did you go for a hundred miler soon after? Um, yeah, it was the next year. So that year I did a whole bunch of different ultras of like, you know, 50 K to 50 mile. And then the next year got into Cascade Crest, um, and ran that. And so I was kind of on this trajectory toward, um, toward racing ultras. Um, at the time I hadn't had any really breakout kind of performances. Um, Mm -hmm. but I was working for a company range out of running at the time. And, um, and so I was kind of seeing how organizing events worked and making a little bit of money through that and massage. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I ended up realizing like, Oh, I could probably start a a race directing business myself. I kind of looked at some of the things that I saw, um, through helping with that and how I could 
shift them and change them to work better for myself. Mm -hmm. So I launched in 2012 a short distance trail running series in Bellingham, Washington, where I lived at the time. Um, We had, I had like 10K, 20K, um, those kind of distances. And then um, that next year, I just kind of knowing that, like, I loved 100 milers, but um, I also had a love of Lake Tahoe, where I'd spent a summer back when I was in college. Uh-huh. Um, and I had been signed up for the Tahoe Rim Trail. So I had this connection to Lake Tahoe. And I just thought, why doesn't anybody create a race around the lake on trail? Yeah. So I pulled out maps and I looked at, like, what was possible and um, kind of the rules of race directing and permitting. Mm-hmm. And I thought, it seems possible, like if we do the route through here and not through there. Um, And so my boyfriend at the time was like, well, why don't you just do it? And I thought, (laughs) yeah, okay. It's it's that easy. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I I had no idea how to put on a 200 miler because I, the longest (laughs) race I'd even helped with was close to like a 50 miler, but (laughs) what do you do for a 200? Yeah. What, what What year was that, that you're talking here that you, that you decided to start it? Um, it was October of 2023. And so I went down to Lake Tahoe that same month, Okay, explored some parts of the route that I was unsure about and, um, realized like this should be possible. And it was early November where we let kind of the cat out of the bag, you Uh know, Hey, I'm going to organize a 200 miler. And I remember there was a lot of excitement in the community, Yeah, Yeah. but there was also, a lot of people that were like, you're not going to be able to do this. There's no way, you know, and um, a lot of pushback with people who lived in Tahoe because I still lived in Washington, uh, other race directors. Yeah. And who's local, this person like, coming to our area? Yeah. Stay out of here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 2014, I held the first Tahoe 200. Wow. How many people? Um, we had, I believe I started 90 some um, and we wow. were limited, but I actually had like a hundred plus person wait list. I wow. could have let in, Year I could have sold it out. I mean, it did sell out for the number we were allowed. Yeah. Um, and then the next year, you know, it continued um, to sell out and we just kind of, we were able to increase numbers a little bit. Um, but it was important to start small too. I realize now because there was so much we had to figure out, like how do you organize a 200 mile race. It's just completely different. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what's crazy is that year one, you already had that. There must, there must've just been like this layer of hundred milers that were <laughs> dissatisfied. You know, they had proven all that the hundred miler can give them and wanted to go a little bit further. Right. I mean, is, uh, there's a Salt Lake guy, Stephen Jones. Was he a part of that first year? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So he, that, Stephen Jones always told me, and and he would talk to anybody who would listen about 200 milers. Yes. Um, I'm going to do the Tahoe 200 forever, for as long as I can. It's my favorite <laughs> race. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, so he was a part of that whole initial group. Mm-hmm. Um, he made a statement. So I didn't know him. His, his brother-in-law, Matt Bergstrom, who's worked a lot of your races, he's one of my best friends. Oh, cool. So Stephen's yeah. sister is Kathy, Matt's wife. And uh, at one point, Matt passes along to me something that Stephen said is that you know, that 200 milers are the next 100 miler. And here yeah. I am back here struggling with like, trying to <laughs> yeah. figure out the 100 miler. And I hear that and I'm just like, oh, my God. I mean, but, you know, the guy was a beast. And, you know, 
I also hear that he had a, did he have an influence on the, the Moab 240 route? He was a part of scouting oh, yeah. that with you? Um, no. So he died before it ever came to existence, okay. um, the route. So he had been sending me, I feel like it was for years, like yeah. this, once he realized he was passionate really about 200 milers, mm -hmm. um, he made a route in Moab that he said, this needs to happen. You know, yeah. it's, it's an amazing route. Moab's an amazing place. And I had never been there. So I, d I didn't really know, but I was overwhelmed at the time with the events I was organizing. And I had, by then I had two 200 milers. I had right. the Tahoe 200 and the Bigfoot 200. Yeah. I'm like that's enough. Yeah. Um, and so he, you'll have to excuse my dogs. I, dogs yeah. are welcome here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody minds a little, little dog in yeah. the background. Um, but yeah, he, um, so he was sending me routes on Cal Tapo back in at least 2015 probably it was probably 2015 yeah okay. and then and then he died in an avalanche in mm -hmm. early 2016 um and at that time you know we were all just shocked and and saddened and yeah. it was unbelievable you know to lose somebody like that um and it kind of made sense at that point to look back at his map you know as a way mm. of memorializing yeah, him. yeah 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 and the original route um was almost exactly what he had created, which is pretty cool. I mean, there's certain things that you have to that change. Is, that's up. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. We've had to change start location, but generally mm -hmm. speaking, we have, you know, that same single loop 240 yeah. mile route. Once I have evidence to support that I belong at that starting line, uh, that that's definitely a bucket list race of mine. Do you, uh, you know, if, if that sort of respect for Steven wasn't there, did you have another route in mind for that ever? Or was it just like when he passed, you thought this is like, this is the route and you're kind of, that's, that's going to be it indefinitely. Well, originally I told him, um, you know, there's not enough single track. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not interested, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize at that time that, that um, a lot of those areas like that he had mapped out are really rugged so they're pretty much single track, um, okay. but people will sometimes take side by sides out on them. So once I went out, you know, after he died and I went out, you know, I'm going to just check out Moab. I'm going to check out his route. I realized it was an incredible route. Like it mm. was an incredible area. Hmm. And, um, and I shared kind of his passion for that once I realized yeah. what he was talking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, um, I would have never done it if he hadn't planted that seed in my head because mm. I had enough on my plate. Um, plenty, plenty to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've worked, uh, the aid station, I believe it was like mile 168 or something like that. Uh, one year, my friend Jeremy Cox okay. was the aid station captain there. And I came with my kids and spent a day as like first, second and third came through. And it just, you know, for anyone who hasn't, we've been to a hundred miler, crazy, inspiring 200 milers, just this other level of what in the world is going on. Like even as someone who's like obsessed with a hundred mile distance and loves it, when I was there watching a 200 miler happen, it's just like, it's that probably that initial feeling that we all got when we first heard about hundred milers. It's like, what the guy coming into hundred and mile 168 was just so fresh. I mean, it's just unbelievable what's, what's possible. And so I'm wondering then now, 
transitioning into what you're trying to do with Arizona and the monster, has there been a, like a, like a layer at the top of the 200 milers where they're like, Hey, we want to go further. Or is this something that like, is your 300 mile race satisfying demand? Or are you trying to cast a vision for going further? Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's been, there's always going to be a certain demand to go further with events. Um, but, um, for me, it's always about the route. And if the route isn't amazing, I'm not going to just do a certain distance to hit that mileage. Mm, Um, so I just wanted to feature, um, Southern Arizona and kind of like the Moab 240, it ended up being 240 miles, not 200. So we try to make the race, um, no junk miles, no I love that. long out and backs unless it was yeah. absolutely necessary for an aid station. Um, but this route, it, I started adding up all the mileage and I was just like, Oh man, <laughs> I, I, trust me guys. I don't want to organize a 300 mile. Yeah. but the route is just something that we, it's just has to be 309 miles to get from point eight, you know, <laughs> to point Z. Yeah. Right. <laughs> At a certain point, we're going to hit, and I think 300 miles is kind of that point where um, the cost of of entry, the mm. cost of organizing the event, the cost of yeah. having staff for me, it just becomes kind of crazy That's after. That's absurd, yeah. Yeah, after a certain mileage. So I know Do people you have a want date? a 500 oh, miler, sorry. but it's like <laughs> the cost of that, it would be insane. Yeah. Do you have a date set for it yet? Yeah, we, we picked, um, it's kind of that first week in April. Um, I don't remember the exact dates. So Garrett, my race director is working on all those permits right now, but I think we submitted kind of for, you know, um, it's a full week, the cutoff. (laughs) I can't can't imagine that just the the logistics process of the permits alone. It just feels like a beast. Yeah. I had, I had to fly him out to, um, Patagonia to do town council meeting where we're going to have, we're going to have the start in Patagonia, Arizona, an amazing little town that the Arizona trail goes through. Um, but he had to meet with the town council and bring these papers (laughs) and have this presentation and they ultimately they're excited about it, but there's been a lot of work going into it. And I've been working on this course for close to five years, actually, I've been wow. wanting to put it on. Wow. So people don't often realize like you launch a two or 300 miler, but there's usually like a very long span of time that, that you're actually working on that event for. And you're yeah, not I can't, paid. I can't you're imagine. spending money on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, so it's, it's obvious at this point to the, to the listener and viewer that um, you're, you're ambitious. And so on top of everything that you've accomplished from, you know, raising two kids to all the 200 milers and all of your, I mean, we've talked about 200 miles. You've got a lot of other races that aren't 200 miles and this Arizona monster. Right, yeah. And then in your spare time, we're talking, uh, the world record that you set this year. And this is where I kind of want to transition into talking about that. And also like giving me advice as I, you know, try and unlock, you know, lucky number nine, as I finished 100 miler DNF seven and looking for, insight from, from anywhere, uh, from people who've done really hard things. I mean, you, you ran 200 days in a row, you ran an ultra marathon every day, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the <laughs> minimum mileage that I was allowed to do was 31.1 miles, okay. but I ended up 
trying to get as close to 32 as possible, just so mm-hmm. I didn't get somehow the GPS read lower or. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so you were having that monitored by what Guinness or. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of a process where during the world record, I'm gathering a lot of evidence based on what they need to prove that I did what I did. So during the runs, I'm gathering the evidence, but I wasn't submitting till I finished. Um, and you can't, you can't turn it all in till you're done anyway. Um, but I could have submitted had I had time as Mm. I went along. I just, the days were too busy. So I've actually been submitting since I finished and I just completed the final five days. So just completed as of today, um, uploading all the information. Um, so all I have to do is hit that button. I have no idea how long it's going to take them to go through. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's taken me though, you know, since May all the way till now (laughs) with my, to get slow upload to get all that Mm. information. Wow. And I mean, you know, day one, you're super excited. Like what, I guess where I'm ultimately going and with my questioning is 200 days, how are you feeling at like day 95? You know what I mean? Like, is there despair at that point? Is there still just optimism or like, help me get inside your mind a little bit. How do you, how do you think these, this massive effort being at the halfway point and knowing that you still have a hundred more days or, or whatever, like what, what's going through your mind? Well, I, I, think one of the keys to my success on this was that I didn't really pick a final destination. Mm. I started out with an open-ended idea that I was going to do a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And to me, a lot was at least a hundred. And at that time, I didn't let anybody online know what the goal was. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wanted to, because I I knew that like my body could just suddenly say, nope, we're done. And I, I might have to listen to that. So I um, had submitted to Guinness on October 30th. I said I was going to do 100 days. Yes. I knew I could change that, but that was like, I had to look back because I couldn't remember what number I had picked at that point. <laughs> but as, as I got closer to 100, it became just so normal. Like the, the number that I had done still seemed low. Mm-hmm. Um, and the marathon, consecutive days of marathons record was at 106 but okay. I'd heard about this woman doing 150 in Australia. So mm-hmm. now your, your mind just starts thinking about these things over and over. And so by the time I got to 100, I knew I was going to try to beat the 150. Okay. Um, and technically, that it doesn't count. Like I, I won't have the marathon record. I can only take one record, and that's the ultra record. Oh, interesting. Um, but, but I still wanted to like do more. Yeah. Than yeah. the marathon because we're ultra runners. That's what we do. Right. We do more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just picked 200 eventually because um, I knew before 100 I was probably going to go to 200 because I wanted to kind of represent what I've done with my race directing. It seemed like a good number. I'd be yeah. done the day before the kids got out of school for the summer. Oh, it just nice. seemed right. But I still didn't know until I got probably until um, April if I would make it, you just, anything can happen. Um, but that uh, at day a hundred, I was just on this or before a hundred, I was on a high for sure of like, 
I was feeling better than ever. I was feeling stronger. I was running faster. I was running more consistently. Um, but once I crossed that hundred barrier, it was like mentally things just like tanked and Mm. the next hundred days would be so tediously boring overall. Like that's Mm. overall the mental challenge of the next hundred was so hard. Whereas the first hundred was so physical and Mm. I was excited about every day. But Mm. then I realized like I could probably do this for more than a year. And now I'm in this like middle zone where there's no end in sight. It's like the Mm -hmm. middle of an ultra. Exactly. But I'm so stubborn that I was not going (laughs) to stop. Yeah. (laughs) So I got to 200. (laughs) So, I mean, is that, is that your, let's say special sauce, like the stubbornness, like you're just like you, once you've set your mind to it, there is no, there's literally no option to stop. In this case. Yes. Because I was, um, I was just so, it was so important to me. I realized this was a chance. I'd gotten so far. I wasn't going to give up those hundred days because I was not feeling it or bored all day um, for days and days and weeks and weeks. Um, I, stubbornness is something I've always had. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) my, my poor parents, um, anytime that, that I had a goal or I wanted something, I I would never let it go. Mm. (laughs) Like Mm. a pit bull. Yeah. (laughs) Hanging on to it. So So, yeah, to me in this case, it was just so important. I'd put so much into those first hundred days. I'd sacrificed so much. I wasn't going to give up all that um, by stopping. A a brief aside on that. I mean, it's not like your businesses are, you know, um, they're in-person events. Like from a business standpoint, maybe you can have certain like online businesses or whatever that can be cruise control. You can have fulfillment happening in this place and marketing can be automated here. You're putting on these insane heavy lift that require a lot of people to execute. So you've got to, I mean, you've got these business, your business is going to how, I mean, I guess, how are you engaged with destination races during your, your world record attempt? Um, the whole time, uh, every day I would call Garrett, our race director and, mm-hmm. um, have a conversation with him about what needed to be worked on. He would ask questions. He was fairly new to race directing at this mm-hmm. point, the company as it was full time. He's been with destination trails since 2014, which is mm-hmm. pretty cool since the first 200 miler. Um, mm-hmm. but he was doing like course um, marking and stuff like that, just very part-time. So I mm-hmm. took him on full-time around, what was it? 2021, 22. Um, and so I was really needing to walk him through all the different stuff and the permitting and everything, but okay. I was able to do a huge amount of that over the phone. So we would nice. have, I would start my run, I would call him and I would be huffing and puffing <laughs> and <laughs> We would just go through, you know, all the stuff that needed to be worked on that day. Seven mm. days a week, I talked to him. Yeah. So we, we sometimes it would be 10 minutes. Sometimes it would be two hours. Um, mm. And as I ran, I would lose reception. I have to call him back. <laughs> um, but I would call him at least for a little portion of yeah. every day to see how everything was going. So you're juggling that. You've got yeah. kids, yeah. but you're, it sounds like you're running while they're in school. I mean, what, what, yes. what was, what time of day were you running? Uh, I mean, it varied a little bit. Um, 
overall, but usually I would start the run after they would go to school. Sometimes I would start before. And again, mm-hmm. they're older, so yeah. there's no way I would have done this if they were, um, <laughs> you know, in like uh, elementary school or yeah. something like that. But they're yeah. both in high school. One of my daughters drives. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would I would usually start around the time they went to school and then finish before they got back. Although, you know, some days I would start a little later and finish later. It just yeah. kind of depended on factors. Um, I One day I had driven out um, and my daughter texts me and says, I might have left the hair straightener on in the house. And I was like, <laughs> almost at the trailhead to start, drive all the way back home, check, it wasn't on, and then oh, go back out. And <laughs> so stuff happens and sometimes yeah. you start a little late. So as I really start to kind of tie this in and, and even tie it up a bit, like I think you know, you've got some of the stuff that works against me sometimes. Yeah. Is, is all the stuff that I'm juggling between business, between family and my kids are now four, seven and 10. Okay. So training, you know, like I, you know, I, I want to be a good partner to my wife and, you know, these things start to, to get in the way and, or, you know, and what I mean by that is like, I prioritize them sometimes over my ambitious desire on the, on the trail. Um, I mean, you had, you have so, you have so much in your mind, like you've got like I said, the races and, and all this, is there, like, ha, is there a moment in that, uh, world record attempt where you were like, you know what, this is my goal and I think I should stop, but you decided to keep on going. Was there ever a moment of doubt, like day 150, 160 or, 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 you know, was the hay in the barn at that point? Yeah, there, I mean, I think there were days of doubt the whole way. Mm-hmm. Um, usually based on, um, like a really severe pain that I might be having at the time. I guess we're going to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first month was, was very painful, but there were, I had pelvis pain that lasted like five months. And I, you know, I would have Mm. a day where I would just get super worried. Like, you know, is something wrong? Um, should I stop? Do I have a fracture in my pelvis? Um, and then I recently kind of posted in my stories on Instagram about how my lips were, I had blisters on them for that same amount of time too, that were horrible. Oh. Um, hmm. And I couldn't eat certain foods. Really? Um, yeah. The, Whoa. oh, Hank's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Hank. um, but yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, there were, there were days where one day I called up um, my friend, Adam, who, was kind of my sounding board, like Garrett on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And, um, I start, uh, I got, he answers the phone, you know, and I go, uh, I just start bawling because Mm. my pelvis hurt really bad. I didn't know if I should keep going Mm. and my lips were horrible. Um, just totally, um, open sores, Mm. you know, um, I'm thinking, is it cancer? Like what's going Mm. on? There's, there's so many fears, um, that can come up. And he goes, um, I'm in a car with a whole bunch of people right now. Let me call you back. (laughs) And, um, and so I'm like still crying and I hang (laughs) up and I just, I'm like, okay, you know what? It's this, it's just me. Like, Mm. I have these people I can call and all this, but I have to suck it up oh, and yeah. get it done. And yeah. I just sucked it up. And I think he called later. I was like, I'm okay now. <laughs> Everything's okay. So I, <laughs> yeah, had I just needed that one moment. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah I had to keep checking into like the moment I was in is everything mm. okay now instead yes. of going into the anxiety of, Oh um, gosh, that's great. The fear. Yeah. So I think that's what happens to us in ultras. It happens to us in life when we get caught up in, Oh my gosh, where is this going? Instead mm-hmm. of being in that moment where everything mm. is okay now. And if I stayed in the, everything is actually okay right now. Yeah. I could keep going. And that's just how it built on itself. It yeah. snowballed into something really big, but it started as something just really small. I mean, that that's absolutely like aha moment for me of like, yeah, because I'm I'm my mind is busy and thinking and like I just like you said, like I feel this, you know, this pain in my hand. It's like, oh my God, they're gonna have to amputate it. It's <laughs> but it's like in this moment, yeah. it's okay. It's it hurts, but it's okay. That's really it's interesting letting, thought. It's letting the emotions come in, mm-hmm. acknowledge them, right? Oh, is this going to need to be amputated? But then you control the emotion you just by just letting it go through. Mm. Nope, that's just a thought. It's okay. Yeah. Let it go. And if, if you hang okay on right to now. those fears, that's when you start thinking about dropping out and yes. quitting and taking exactly that it. pain away. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, – m- m- I could go through each DNF and be like, yeah, here's what happened. Here's what happened. A lot of it. I mean, there's a few like perfectly justifiable from a physical standpoint, but there's a handful that are just like mental weakness. Yeah. And so I think that's a super helpful one because I it's, I'm absolutely, I'm playing out a movie that doesn't exist in the world yet, but that movie that I'm playing out is always a horror film (laughs) and it's never (laughs) like a, you know, rom-com or something like that. So I feel like that's to me, like one of the brilliant takeaways from our conversation is everything is okay right now. Like that's it. And then I'll check back in in 10 seconds, you know, <laughs> and just yeah. maybe have to keep telling myself that, that everything and is okay right I, and now. And I think too, you know, as parents, we can look at like, yeah, this kind of, this race sucks right now in this moment, but I have all this time to myself and I'm not going to let that go. And all the sacrifice I put into training, the time away from my family, yeah. this is my time yeah. to do for them what I've put out and set out for myself. Um, and so when I go race now, I see it as this privilege to get to have this time that's all my own and utilize that time. Is there anything I'd rather be doing besides hanging out with my family? Like, yes, I'd love to yeah. hang out with my family, but I already sacrificed all this training time. So I'm not going to waste that. And mm. I'm going to complete this race um, not only for myself, but for them, um, in that sense, because, you know, as I get older, it does, I think matter to them, you know, your experience as well, racing. Um, and when, when you end up DNFing or quitting, it's hard on the whole family. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Cause then, you know, once, once everything's like calmed down and I'm back to normal a few days later, it's like, well, dad, you did all of that and you didn't finish and you could have. Thank yeah, <laughs> I, think so. you, I think so. And you have to be okay yeah. walking it in, yes. in a hundred miler. And yeah. I think a lot of us get in this mode of like, oh, I'm going to have to walk 40 miles. Yeah. You know, I have been in the top 10 and had to walk for a huge number of miles. And it's humbling yeah. um, to get passed by people. But at the same time, that finish is always worth um 
humbling yourself. That's what we do in hundreds. We aren't really these superheroes like people yeah. see us as. Yeah. We really have to humble ourselves. Yes. It's that finish line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went to UTMB this year just for fun. I wanted to see the, the American men finally cross in first. And, you know, in my mind, like that's how I want my finish to be. And it's just ne- like as Jim's coming or Zach's coming down, like, <laughs> that's never going to be my experience even close and some, in some ways making peace with like, it's great. I mean, it's an unbelievable accomplishment to run a hundred miler, but at the speed I run it, it's not going to ever be in the news. And so to be okay (laughs) with this unbelievable accomplishment as just being for me. And in the end, that's what, that's why I keep coming back. Even though I'm an outrageously competitive person, it's so funny because in that context, I'm the least competitive person that you'll ever come across, like in terms of actual times. So Yeah. Yeah. And competitiveness doesn't, um, isn't just, you know, front middle or back of the pack thing, or it's not just a front of the pack thing. In fact, there's lots of really talented runners who, if they were a little more competitive could do even better. Um, Mm. but I think part of the reason I've had success is because I am very competitive, but I've had to work on, um, the, speed part, you know, cause there's plenty mm. of people that are way faster than me, but, yeah. um, but I care so much, um, that I'll put in all those extra days or yeah. that extra effort during the yeah. race that, yeah. you know, less competitive person might not put in. Yep. Well, Candace, I want to honor your time and, and, uh, thank you so much for joining me. I think, uh, you know, a lot of the ultra trail running community who, whose ambition goes beyond a hundred miles up to 200 miles, uh, has you to thank for sort of paving the way on that. And, uh, it's been really cool to watch such a successful company, destination trails and your world record attempt. And and now the Arizona monster, there's just, I just love the ambition. I love what you're bringing to the community. And uh, I hope someday to be worthy of standing at the starting line of the Moab 240. I'll get there and then maybe we'll see you again. Yeah. And I, I want to say, because you've said a few times, um, that maybe you're not ready for 200 or deserving of it. But I think for a lot of people, 200 mile distance is more doable than the hundred because you get more time. um, And the food is usually better. Um, (laughs) I mean, that alone, if the food is better, that that's a selling point, but but sleeping is acceptable, right? It's it's acceptable. Yeah. And you have more time to fix things and kind of get Mm. going. It's just a more enjoyable experience because you hmm. aren't having to rush from aid station to aid station. It's more social. It's mm. a slower pace. If you want, you could go yeah. faster if you want to. Yeah. Um, but you just have more of a spectrum um, of enjoyment possible in a 200 mm. mile race. And I got to experience to that for real. When I went and did a 200 in Australia, I realized like even at the front of the pack, I was able to have a little more time to do everything. And mm. it was just so much more fun and enjoyable in that sense. Huh. Um, and you're not necessarily going to be more beat up either, because again, it's not like you're running really hard for a hundred miles. You're kind of no. toning that down slightly over 200. So it's mm. not as intimidating as it sounds. And and I think you're ready. Hmm. Okay. I think you like it better than a hundred miler. <laughs> you know, you, you might, I've, I've always thought that in the back of my head. Uh, especially since my buddy Jeremy's, uh, aid station was a sleep station as well. I always thought, I don't know if I could get eight hours in the middle of something like this, maybe. Okay. I'll think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Yeah. 
but don't don't rule it out as something that you can only take on once you you know get mm. to a certain point or finish a certain number of hundreds but for people interested in the 200 mile just be sure to look into like what's the cutoff yeah um, is that because some of them are tighter than others and mm. def you know more difficult yeah. with ours we definitely try to cater to middle and back of the pack in terms of time cutoff. Yeah. Um, so always look at that because you don't want to get surprised um, yeah. when you've made that much of an investment in training and oh, yeah. race entry and all that. Yeah. Well, when we see the Arizona monster registration come online, we'll definitely um, support it and, and push it out there to our, to our people. I think my followers at borderlands are uh, prime candidates for that. So, and I can't wait to see, uh, to, to see what that looks like. Cause I, I love the Arizona desert. Oh, it's going to be amazing. I mean, I haven't been this excited since, uh, <laughs> the last 200 mile race I launched and it, it's definitely time to, um, to get a Push new event out there. I you know, what's it. crazy is there are so many people excited about this new 300 miler. Um, I did not expect so many people to be, so we have a Facebook page uh -huh. and, um, in 24 hours, we had a thousand people join it no for the Arizona monster 300. Wow. So I think it's, yeah, I don't think we'll have any trouble filling it up, but, wow. but who knows? <laughs> that, that, that's, I mean, it just speaks to like, if you had gone from, if your first race had been a 300 miler and never done the 200 stuff, it's a, you know, and then you'll do the 400, you know, you talked about the logistically, but it's just like, the season of 200 milers that we've had the 10 years or whatever. Now there's people that are like seeing what's, you know, a human body is capable of and we want to keep trying. So that's, uh, that's yeah. cool to, to serve it up to them. And there's, there's going to be people that never do a 200. They're just going to jump. They're just going to jump <laughs> into the 300 mile thing. I, I guarantee it. you, because that happened with two one hundreds and two hundreds. We have people doing two hundreds that have never done a hundred. Mm, um, okay. Interesting. So you definitely don't need um, certain ultras as stepping stones. Um, I think it just depends on the person's mentality. Mm. Um, it's not necessarily a bad idea, but yeah. 100 miler is a almost a different sport altogether. You know, 50k, 50 mile, 100 miler. When you get mm. into 200s, it's just totally, totally different. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you've convinced me. I'll talk to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. awesome. Candace Bird, thank you so much for your time. I uh, really appreciate it. It's a real honor to get to talk to you and congrats on the, I guess you'll submit the world record, but it seems like, looks like we're good to go, but either way, good luck. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on and um, yeah, I, I hope uh, all your audience at least considers these super long distance races. Cause I think they are, if you love an adventure um, it's more of an adventure than a race for sure. I love it. Okay. I think I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you again sometime. Sounds good. Bye. Hey, real quick, we've got an app coming out soon called Wilder. In fact, by the time you hear this, it may already be out. We're going to tell you all about it soon. Just want you to know about it. Love you.